Welcome to Life Hurts, God Heals. I'm one of your hosts, Kurt Flagel, and on this episode, we are continuing our interview with speaker and musician John Byron. Last time, we talked about the importance of prayer and scripture, and not just in the concepts of prayer and scripture, but the nuts and bolts of how do we actually pray? How do we actually read the Bible? Because I find that the concepts aren't enough for any of us. We need nuts and bolts conversations. We need to know how to do these practices. And I find that that's not typically talked about. So that's what we talked about last time. This time we're talking about the practical how-tos and importance of silence and solitude. Now, if that sounds less attractive than going to the dentist, trust me in this. Listen to this episode and you will find the surprising gifts that come with these practices as you listen to John explain why these things are important through the stories of his personal experiences. So let's pick it up right where we left off last time. When we engage in church and that new believer, that one who's made that profession of faith is told, you need to read your Bible. Somewhere in their mind, they're thinking, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. And oftentimes, we miss that opportunity to say, this is about you being with someone who loves you and being in a conversational relationship. I hear identity. Yeah. Okay. You talked about how people come at it with a sense of this is something I do. Well, Mm -hmm. that's a huge area of of identity. Like how many times (laughs) do we talk about, I'm a police officer. I'm I'm this because our identity is found in what we do. So John, how do you identify yourself? How would you define yourself? (laughs) from your experience oh in the worst ways possible i'm (laughs) i'm all about what i do you know here's the thing for me i think there is the constant challenge to keep coming back to that place of sensing that i am one created in god's image who he loves i'm his child i'm a sheep in the arms of the shepherd but i live in a world that prizes, the things that can be quantified. Uh, Even the word vocation has come to mean something, maybe uh, a shade of what it actually means, okay? It is much more about profession than it is about call, okay? So when somebody says this is your vocation, they're not so much talking about your call as they are about a profession, something that you do to engage in life with other people and things like this and to accomplish things. So I am as prone as the next person to move into that place. So every day I have to kind of be reminded that, oh, that's right. Oh yeah, that's right. Whatever I've defined myself by at this moment may be far less than God defines me by. Because to be his child is to truly be someone remarkable. I was just doing some teaching this last weekend in John 12, kind of around 30, uh, John 12, 32, maybe 35, somewhere in there. They, uh, Jesus makes this 
statement about becoming children of light, okay? Believe in the light so that you may be a child of the light. Wow. And I thought, now what a remarkable thing to think that the very nature of light, the light that is Jesus, the light of the world, would somehow, I would begin to bear the qualities of that. Now that's a larger vision of life than I typically go to with my profession, okay? Mm. That somehow I'm radiant, that there is a radiance that God wants to express through me as his child that is way beyond, you know, the things that I do that I desperately want to impress other people with, okay? The word profession, every time you say it, it smacks me in the face because we use that word to talk about what we do, but what does that word even mean? Profession. Yeah. yeah. Like, what are we professing? Yeah. We're yeah. professing an identity. And, and what you just said was Jesus professed an identity for us, that we are children of light. And it's up to us to agree and accept. Yeah. And, and what we're talking about is there's a war happening over our identity. And we have to choose our profession. What do we profess? Let me take this back to the whole issue of practices. Mm-hmm. Part, of, part of the thing that we, we find is that there are, I mean, you can read Dallas Willard, you can read Richard Foster, and you can see lists of traditional spiritual practices. Mm-hmm. Willard does a great job of laying out some, and so does Foster, does a great job of laying out some various spiritual practices for being a disciple of Jesus, being a Mm. follower, okay? It's very helpful to look at those lists, but I want to talk about the practices of the ordinary because I think anything can become a practice. We have spent most of our lives practicing things that we'd look at in retrospect and say, why did I do that? (laughs) Or why do I always do that? Mm. Okay? So just because you maybe don't gravitate to the idea of spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices and you kind of think oh there's legalism there or whatever just let me say you've been practicing something for most Mm. of your life you've been about practice you just haven't identified it that way Mm. so to begin to look at our lives and realize that when we begin to say that we want to have a spiritual practice we're saying we want to have a practice where God is invited in, into that space and can fill that space. And he can do what he wants in that space. That he can do it what he wants with me in that space. And when that happens, we have to understand that when you have spent a lifetime, however long that lifetime is, whether you're five years old, 10 years old, 20 years old, 40 years old, 60 year old, or 100 years old. I mean, there's Whatever the time, yeah. Oh boy. You've had a lot of time engaging in practices that were all about you. Mm. That were all about whatever made you happy, whatever made you feel good, whatever helped you feel safe, whatever helped you feel not threatened, whatever helped you uh, get provision. You engaged in practices, whatever helped you get recognition. Mm. And in those places, now you're bringing a spiritual practice into something that's been done for a lot of time. And for a lot of people, they'll say, you know, I tried that and it just didn't work for me. And I want to say, did you try it for the 40 years you tried the other thing? (laughs) 
Did you give yourself at least a little bit of time to engage in this thing? Because if it was natural to you, if it just came like, this is no big deal, it probably wouldn't take a lot of practice. But the minute you begin to push into the places that you've been living habitually all your life, you're going to get resistance. You're going to get resistance to that. And that's why practice means something to us, especially spiritual practice. We are pushing back against something. We are in resistance to something when we begin to engage in spiritual practices. And guess who we're primarily in resistance to in spiritual practices? There is a ruler of this world that has been put on a long leash, so to speak. And yet he is still pressing into our lives and calling us to the habits and the life that we just by default, and we've gotten into the ruts that say, this is a good life. This is okay. And the evil one, I believe, is completely happy with, it's no big deal. Mm-hmm. But I think when we begin to engage in spiritual practices, we are pressing into those territories that Satan would love to say are mine. Mm-hmm. And Jesus has said, no, they were always mine. I have just come in with the cross and the resurrection, and I've just put a final nail in the coffin of this thing. And now we're in the, we're in the mop-up campaign. Yeah. We're going around and just kind of mopping up what is left over of this battle. Okay. Yeah. When you talk about the ruts, what I hear is, you know, like you said, the enemy loves for us to just be in that familiar place, right? Sure. That that rut, what I saw in my mind was that rut was a circle that goes nowhere. Sure. Right. And so sure. like the idea of what's the definition of insanity, right? Doing the same things <laughs> yeah. over and over again, expecting, expecting different, a different result. Right. So in that God wants to break us out and that resistance comes into that because we're used to the circle and that circle in, in my mind is often our circular thinking inside of mm-hmm. ourselves, our, our circular feelings that, that we never let God into so that inner circle that we resist God's breaking into always becomes a, a downward spiral unless we let God in to break that cycle. One of the, the identifiers of resistance that I heard that you said is um, distractions. The, the enemy is great at distracting us. When, when you notice in your time that you're seeking to be with God, what do you do with those distractions yourself in your, in your practices? Well, there are, I think there are different ways that you deal with distraction. I think on the one hand, there is that constant call to refocus. We'd all like to think that, oh yeah, I'm completely attentive here. I'm, I've got my complete attention. I think that's the illusion that we'd like to believe about ourselves. Okay, it's that we live in this fantasy world that says we're not going to be distracted by stuff and that, you know, we're talking to our spouse or a significant friend and we say, oh, yeah, I'm listening completely to you. And and we're somewhere in our brain. There's that little thing back there that's saying, I wonder how long this conversation is going to go on. Uh, This is sounding a lot, lot more familiar to me than I wanted it to. Um, 
really? Is there any new information here? You know, when, when can I be done? So I can go do what I want. So that is a, that's a place for me of prayer. It's a place that presents an opportunity. Distraction does not have to be the end word to the sentence. It can be on the path to getting to prayer. And so when I find myself distracted, sometimes it's just the, it's the healthiest thing for me to do is just to say, Lord, my brain is all over the map. Mm. My heart is all over the map. Help me to remember you in this moment, most of all. Seriously, in this period of a minute, they have to pray that like 14 times. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So it's not like this is, again, we get back to practices. The distraction is the natural thing that I can move to. Oftentimes, it's the way I avoid what I really need to be about. Mm. So rather than beating myself up about the distraction, use it as a trigger to pray. Do you find that when you do that, when you notice the distraction and confess that or profess that <laughs> to God, does it ever come about that in the professing of this thing that is distracting you, that you find that there was an invitation in that to bring it to God and he actually wanted to dialogue about that thing you were distracted about? Oh, by all means. I think a lot of times my distractions are the very things that God wants to get to the root of. I'm seeing maybe a manifestation, but he wants to look at the root and say, what is the agitation that is going on in your life right now? What's the inner agitation? What's the, the root of that agitation that you're dealing with right now? And will you sit with me long enough so I can do a little peeling? Mm. Okay. You know, when we talk about solitude and silence with people, oftentimes the biggest concern is, I don't know that I can be quiet that long. I got to have somebody here to talk to. What they miss in that moment is, well, did you ever consider the fact that maybe God is speaking in that moment and he'd love to have that conversation that you so desperately want to go and find somebody else to have it with? That maybe solitude and silence presents a canvas that is blank for God to write on. And you get to be there. In a sense, you are just opening up space for God to do something. Now, in that, what often happens when you say to someone, hey, we're going to spend some time in quiet, silence, is that they go externally quiet, but all of a sudden, every internal voice that ever was available to them, all of a sudden begins screaming at them. And that's where you begin to look at the grocery list and you say, okay, yeah, I gotta, I gotta do this. I gotta do that. I gotta do that. Oh yeah. And I, oh, that just forgot about that. So here's the other thing. Maybe God's going to take some time to look deeper at some of the root issues that are going on there, but it is a prompt for prayer. The outcome of that prayer, I don't exactly know all the details, but when you begin to follow the thread, there's a potential that God may say, let's talk about some of these things more deeply. Mm. But now we get to just the practical side of the distraction. And one of the things that I will do at times is I will have a pad of paper with me. That when I am distracted, whatever that distraction is, I'll just write it down. Mm. And I'll, I'll leave that there rather than 
thinking about that and obsessing over that. I'll just write it down so I can come back to it in a place that's appropriate. That's so great because you know what I do? And what I used to do is push it aside, try to shove it aside, try to shove it aside. And then inevitably it keeps coming back. To write it down is like surrender. Yeah, I'm putting it down on paper because I don't want it to be the thing that my thoughts are obsessing over at Mm. this point in time. I can put it somewhere else. You wouldn't believe how many pieces of paper I have in my house, you know, that are full of nonsense. Okay, <laughs> But uh, somewhere along the line, I thought, you know, all these pieces, all these papers that I've written, these wonderful thoughts down, they're going to mean something to someone somewhere. The reality is, I think God was just saying, write it down, and then we can move on to something of your heart here, or we can maybe actually have a conversation without you obsessing over the stuff, whatever it is. So writing it down can be helpful. Mm. It may not help everybody the same way, but at least, again, the practice of writing something down when you are distracted may help you to engage in listening more for that voice. So again, you're you're coming into this place of prayer you're coming into a practice of prayer and saying i want to pray and i want to hear the voice of god i'd love to be quiet and all of a sudden have god say john i'm here and i love you and he's saying that all the time i'm just not used to his language i'm not attuned to the ways he might say it And all those are the places when I engage in solitude and silence that I think God wants to develop in me in that space. As much as I spend time in the word and I'm writing, being quiet and alone with God, part of that time in the word involves that as well. You talked about like the distracting things that God wants to get down to uh, what's underneath those, the root of agitation. I just saw an oyster in my mind. And I think of a quote that I heard is like, when you agitate an oyster, what do you get? A pearl. Yeah. Yeah. And and so the the picture in my mind was this idea of when, when we sit and we make time, as you were talking, John, making time and making space to notice these distracting things and give them to God, what we're creating is a place where we're in that stillness, where we allow God to reveal the real agitations and coat them with the same coating over time, the same coating that an oyster coats, those uh, dust particles and, and pollutants that come in, that it coats them with this beautiful layer that becomes a pearl. And in those places for us, the pearl becomes wisdom. We, we can have head knowledge, mm-hmm. but wisdom comes from God and through experiencing him and being still enough for him to speak his perspective. Like you said, it, his perspective is very different than ours. And it takes us time to hear that mm-hmm. perspective and coat those agitations with his wisdom. Yeah. It takes time. It does. Well, and that's part of, you know, looking at this whole area of practices is just to realize that, like I said earlier, you you don't practice something you're good at. Mm. (laughs) Typically, if if you are, you know, a 500 hitter, you're not going to the batting cage. Um, Now, 
if you're hitting 150, you're probably spending a lot of time in the batting cage trying <laughs> to get better at this thing called hitting. Okay? Yeah. When we come to spiritual practices, we're pressing into places that oftentimes we would like to just happen. Mm -hmm. You know, we love the miracle of engagement to happen. And it does Sometimes. in a lot of different ways. God shows up, you know, and does pretty spectacular things. Uh, but when we practice, we are basically saying, I want to give as much space to God as I can do what God would see as the best in my life. And there is that place of resistance. And it is oftentimes that place that we, we come up against that sense of irritation. This is not easy. This is hard work. The, and all those are just basically irritants. Mm -hmm. They are the places yeah. that we would like it to be easy. We'd like it to be comfortable. We would like it to be not so much about God revealing all the darkness in our life, which oftentimes happens when you're in these places of practice, when you're in the place of silence, it oftentimes is that God peels back layers and you go, oh my word, there was something there that I is, is fairly ugly. And I like to think of myself as pretty nice, <laughs> you know? And there's this ugliness there that God is exposing by his own loving care and light that I would prefer to leave in the dark. Silence tends to give room for those kinds of things to surface. Solitude tends to give room for those kinds of things to surface. So as much as I listen, want to connect with the voice of God and the scriptures, I also want to give space to hear. And that is tough. Here's the thing, Kurt, Kim, I am completely self-absorbed. So you know what prayer easily becomes? It's just a furtherance of my self-absorption. Mm. God, help me with this. God, do this for me. God, make sure this gets happened. God, do this. God, do this. I bring a list to God and I say, just carry it out and I'll be happy. So that component of listening and saying, what's on your mind, God, doesn't fit well with someone who's so self-absorbed. In the practice of prayer, listening for that other voice pushes in against my self-absorption. It's good for me. And that darkness that you talked about mm -hmm. is really just a place of emptiness. Yeah. I mean, darkness is just an absence of light. Yeah. What God is doing when he pulls back the curtain and there's ugliness there and darkness in us that we don't want to pay attention to what he's really doing is pulling back the curtain to places where we're empty so that he can shine the light in those places, the light of his love. And so that we can experience who we really are as children of light. Well, I think also in, besides the emptiness, there is a, there's just a strong uh, pull to fill the emptiness with clutter. Mm. So Scientifically, right? <laughs> Yeah, nature abhors a vacuum. It does, and I just like to I, the stuff I bring into that, the stuff of you know my life, the world, whatever, it tends to clutter the space. You know, Jesus says, you know, let me furnish the space. I come in and I say, yeah, but I 
I got these closets and they're so full of stuff. I don't know that I have any room for you to furnish the space. I've already kind of put things up the way I want them. And Jesus yeah. says, well, how about if we do a little redesign here? A little spring you know? cleaning? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, who likes to look under their bed and find dust bunnies? Okay. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like, it's dark under there. You turn the light on and all of a sudden you go, oh my word, there's stuff in here. I forgot that I had, you know, I, I had no idea all the stuff that has accumulated in these places in my life. And yeah. when God turns the light on, a lot of times it's, it's exposing stuff that are, is foolish. Sometimes it's exposing stuff that is less than pure. It's exposing stuff that I might prefer. Yeah. Don't look under the bed, you know. Don't look in that closet. I mean, have you ever been in a situation where you've walked into someone's home and you thought this was a coat closet and you were uh, about to open it? Don't go in that closet. Don't go in there. I've been the one saying you know? that. It's like you just know that they're going to look at that and they're going to see all the stuff you shoved in there yeah. that they so they wouldn't see it. All the, the clothes that you would throw under the bed. My children used to do this when, you know, we'd say, clean up your room. They would take the covers of their bed and they would throw all the stuff on the bed. And then they just pull the cover, the, the spread over it, you know, and they thought, okay, it's clean. Now it wasn't clean. It was hidden. <laughs> and in the, in the place of our silence and solitude, the light goes on if we allow God into those spaces and we begin to realize that he's uncovering things. He's uncovering emptiness, but he's also uncovering clutter. Yeah. Things that keep us from him. Things that we are holding on to. We've hidden under the bed because we don't want to throw them away. We don't want to get rid of them because they some, there's some security attachment to these things. Yeah. They make me feel a little bit better about my life. About the emptiness. It's, you know, there's that one shirt in the closet that I've never thrown away because I know it's going to come back in style. Someday, this is going to be back in style. And we're whole, we hold on to things that really, they are things that we put security in. We thought they made our life better. And Jesus says, I'm really good at making life better. Yeah. It, but it's hard, you know, when you say, what are the practices that you're engaged in? Sometimes it's just the practices of the ordinary, of looking and saying, where in my life is God saying, you need to push into this place on a regular basis? And it may not be a classic spiritual discipline. It may be a verse that you read and you go, you know what? I need to pay more attention to that. And I need to figure out how I'm going to do that. And I need to design a practice that's going to help me do that. When I was on the road, and I think I probably closed with this. Um, when I was on the road last month, I was uh, traveling to the Midwest and I was doing some concerts and do, doing some speaking. And one of the things I realized was just how much my ego is involved. And I'm a performer to some degree. And so being a performer, there's all sorts of places where you're hoping the performance goes well and people like you. Yeah. I used to tell people that every time I did a concert, it was like a job interview because they were they going to have me back again? 
so you know living like that you you can kind of get focused on the outcome is the outcome going to be the one that i want and that creates a certain level of anxiety in me so i'm i'm riding across huge open spaces there's a lot of quiet and a lot of solitude okay i'm alone in a car driving and one of the things that just kind of popped to my reflection place was a phrase out of John 12 again. It actually was the thing that took me to that other passage or that other verse in John 12. But the phrase was Jesus talking about the kernel of wheat that falls into the ground and dies. But then he goes on and he says, my soul is troubled. And what should I say, Lord or Father, save me from this hour? No, for this reason I came. Father, glorify your name mm. okay this conversation he's having with his father we would call it prayer and he says here's one possible prayer save me from this hour so in those places that create anxiety for me i can easily go okay lord i i just don't want to do this you know save me from this hour and oftentimes when i'm getting ready to preach that's the first thing I want to say, or I'm getting, I'm just getting up on stage to perform. I'm praying, save me from this hour, <laughs> you know, whisk me away to some Disneyland experience. Okay. Right. But then the second prayer is the one that Jesus connects with. And he says, father, glorify your name. Mm -hmm. And what I realized was that was the practice I needed to have. I needed to recognize the places that I was tempted to pray save me from this hour. And I needed to engage in the place of prayer that says, Father, glorify your name. That became, for me, a place of meditation and practice throughout this time on the road. Hmm. It was something ordinary. It wasn't a, a classic practice, other than maybe it had hints of prayer and things like that. But it was very specific to a situation and to something I was thinking. And I'm still working at that still pushing into that place practice oftentimes comes just by way of saying where is the place that god is pressing into my life and saying you need to pay attention here and what is the intentional way that i might pay attention and the beauty of practice just like in any kind of practice like <laughs> before a game there's not there's no score on the line no you're safe to be to make mistakes in the practice and for some coaches of course will scream and yell and they're not reflecting the heart of the father that as the perfect father and coach he's always helping us see how to aim better never denigrating us or you know condemning us or or pushing down so the practices in god's presence are always without a sense of it's all on the line. And if I don't do this, I failed. There's no failure in these practices. There's no condemnation in the place of the practice. If we are willing to create the space, what the joy is, is that God will show up. The last chapter of the book of Exodus, Moses finishes the tabernacle. And it says, the cloud came down over the tabernacle and it filled the tabernacle so much so that Moses couldn't even get in. Mm. So if I really want to deal with my ego, create the space. 
and let God fill the space. Uh, yeah, let God fill the space. <laughs> Amen. And God is love. That's the fullness Paul describes in Ephesians, that you might know the fullness of his love, the fullness of God. Well, this has been really, really helpful and really encouraging. And well, these are all the places I have to keep practicing. Right. We're all children practicing with, our, with our father and our coach. Amen. So would you mind closing us out in this um, this time with uh, praying for those who are listening as one who I would love to the struggle of practice and resistance I would love to mm. Lord Jesus we thank you for the fact that wherever we are on this journey you have promised to meet us there in love uh, that we are to some degree all children that have run away from home and on the journey back, it's oftentimes frightening to wonder what we might expect, what might happen. And yet you come and you love us in that place. And so I pray that wherever we are on this journey, and as we begin to think about practices that might help us to make space for you, Lord, would you remind us that you are there with us in love to help us to empower us, to give us new insight, but just most of all, just to be with us in that place. And may we find what the scriptures describe as the fullness of joy of being in your presence. Help us as we push into these places. Some are more difficult than others, but I pray that you would give us strength so that we might be more transformed into your likeness. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much, John. Yeah, You're welcome. Thanks. My pleasure. Kim, it was great to meet you. It's great to meet you too. That was very cool. So, thanks. I'm very glad that you would invite me back. Thank you. Yeah. And th thank you for being uh, just very open and authentic about your journey. I know for me, and I'm sure for Kim, that has been helpful to us. And I'm sure it is also helpful to many, many people listening. So thank you, John. Well, my pleasure. My pleasure to hang out. So <laughs> blessings on you both. Uh, thank you again. And you. Uh, if yeah. it happens again, we'll look forward to it. Okay. Sounds okay. good. Take care. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Life Hurts, God Heals. Before you go, let me ask you a question. Are you stuck in any way in your life, whether it's being stuck in past wounds that you can't seem to get over, or whether it's just being stuck in certain patterns of thinking and behaving now that you just can't seem to get past, or you feel stuck when it comes to the future? You want to know what God has for you and how to move into that. Well, let me help you with that. As a coach, my goal is to help you discover who God made you to be. What is your unique identity? Let me help you discover that because everything else you want out of life flows from that. If you're interested in having a consultation with me, you can reach me at coachkurt777 at gmail.com. That's coachkurt as in C-O-A-C-H-K-U-R-T 777 at gmail.com. Until next time, remember, 
You are God's beloved, so be loved.